This sermon is titled Healing After Abuse or Trauma Part 1 Be enriched as you listen Today uh, as well as on the Sunday after next which will be the 28th we're going to do a two part sermon series on healing after abuse or trauma Now uh This is a difficult subject and we normally don't speak of it from the pulpit here. Usually these kinds of things happen, you know, one on one or in counseling or in those type of settings. But nonetheless, I just felt that it is time we spoke about it uh from the pulpit uh simply because it, it is a reality. It is something uh, many people uh are are facing going through and sadly in our indian context all of this is hidden behind the four walls and people struggle and they they go through a lot of pain and trauma and um and 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 uh, you know they either don't reach out for help or uh, it's not addressed the way it should be addressed and so uh, i felt that you know we will talk about it here uh, from the pulpit uh, address it and uh, Our goal of course is to see that God bring healing to people that's our objective that if people are going through situations that we will be talking about uh that we will encourage you to reach out for help and 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 also to the ministry of the word and as what we do here on Sundays uh today and the next part 2 in the sermon series that God would bring healing to you and at least get you started on a journey towards healing and wholeness so that's our intent now uh some of you sitting here some of you watching online you may be going through the kind of things we will be talking about abuse and trauma you may have had you may have gone through it or may be going through it and we trust that this these messages will minister to you uh some of us you know uh, thank god that uh, we may not have experienced these things but hearing the messages hopefully will make us more sensitive and also equipped to help others who might be around us and going through these kinds of uh things in their life hopefully we'll be able to understand them better and and serve them better so that that's another intent in this in this two part sermon series to help us help other people who uh, and there are people all around us we just that may not have uh discovered them yet but after hearing this sermon series hopefully you'll be able to reach out to somebody around you and uh, be a blessing to them and help them on their journey towards healing and wholeness so uh healing after abuse or trauma so you know there are people who are going through these challenging situations in life God desires for us to be in a place of wholeness. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5:23, you know, uh, the apostle Paul says, I want you to be whole. I want you to be preserved whole, spirit, soul, and body. That means God is desiring our well-being in all three areas of our life, spirit, soul, and body. He wants us to be whole. Uh but sadly, we are in the world we are living in, there is what is referred to as character dysfunction or you know technically they may call it personality disorder i mean there are people who are harsh or mean and sometimes you know, they're very toxic in their relationships um and so uh, uh they hurt others in the process of relating to people and this can happen in any situation it could happen uh, in the workplace it could happen uh even in a school college setting it could happen in the family uh it could happen in church uh people sometimes get hurt in church uh just because of uh relationships where somebody hurts someone else either an individual or many others and so we are living in a time like this and uh, we, you know we uh, shouldn't pretend that uh, this is not there in fact the apostle paul wrote this in second timothy chapter 5 uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 he said know this that in the last days perilous times will come you know the last days is going to be really difficult perilous times will come men will be lovers of themselves 
Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It's almost like he's read our headlines you know, uh, 2,000 years ago. Saying, look, this is the way things are going to be in the last days. It's going to be like this. People are going to be so harsh, um, brutal in, in how they relate uh, to others. And so this is a reality. And uh, because of the abuse, we have busloads of people under the bus. You know, there are lots of people that just discarded, uh, uh, run over by life itself and are struggling. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and sadly, a lot of this is under the covers. Nobody, you know, people are suffering, people are hurting emotionally, and nobody is reaching out to help them, especially in our Indian context. You know, children go through childhood abuse and trauma. Sometimes it's in the name of discipline. You know, parents, quote-unquote, discipline their child, but they're actually ending up abusing their children. You see, the Bible tells us that when, as parents, when we correct, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Colossians 3 and also in uh, Ephesians 6, when we discipline our children, parents, it tells us not to discourage them. That means don't break their inner person. And it tells us don't provoke them to anger. In other words, don't discipline in such a manner that you push them into a place of anger and resentment. So there is discipline, but if it's applied incorrectly, it can actually bother and abuse or actually be abuse where you're breaking the inner person of the child. And, uh, you know, this goes on. Children are abused uh, at home, sometimes verbally, sometimes physically. And sadly, sometimes children are even sexually abused at home in their family environment. And, uh, you know, and, and we hear about these things. And then they, are, they have nowhere to go or no, you know, no way to reach out for help. Uh, married men and women could find themselves in destructive marriages. That's not why they got married, but they find themselves in those situations and where there is hurt and harm and abuse being inflicted on them constantly in that marriage situation. But the Bible talks about the Proverbs 31 family. How many of you know Proverbs chapter 31? Right? So most men, I want a Proverbs 31 wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they say, you know, that's, that's the picture. Whom, what kind of woman do you want to marry? I want to marry a Proverbs 31 woman. Well, but Proverbs 31 is, while the, uh, the main character there is the, the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife, uh, the chapter also talks about the Proverbs 31 family. It also talks about the husband and the children and everyone else in the family. And in that Proverbs chapter, Chapter 31, the communication that happens that is so beautifully described there, it says that the woman, the wife, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Her tongue, in her tongue is the law of kindness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So what kind of a communication is happening in the home? In a Proverbs 31 family, there is, a, there is communication of wisdom, of kindness, of blessing, and approval or appreciation. That's the Proverbs 31 family. Are you all with me? And that's the kind of communication that is supposed to happen in the home. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. In other, uh, instead of that, there is hurt, abuse being, uh, being thrown on all sides. And in the home, uh, a lot of harm and danger could take place. So what I want us to do today in part one I have to admit that the message today may be a little depressing, but I'll make sure you're encouraged before you leave, okay? But in part two, we talk about the healing process. Today, we want to understand the pain, understand the problem, understand what this is all about. So when we talk about abuse, what are we referring to? We're talking about, the, uh, and in the context that we're talking about, it's not, we are referring to unfair treatment that an abuser inflicts on, what we, on the person, the other person. We refer to them as a victim. 
the abuse. It could be a man or a woman. You know, it doesn't matter. It could be the husband, the wife. It could be the boss and the employee, whoever. It's, it's the abuser inflicting unfair treatment, hurting the other person. It's, it results in some form of harm or even violation of the other person. Uh, the abuser uh, could control the victim through manipulation, through suggestions. Uh, the, the abuser could harm the victim emotionally, uh, sometimes uh, physically, uh, could demean or devalue the victim, make the victim feel worthless, good for nothing, absolutely. Uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't, there's no value placed on them, violates the victim, or makes the, even makes the victim dependent on themselves. All of these things lead our expressions of abuse. So in abuse, what happens? Um, the identity of the individual is violated. They begin to wonder, who am I? Lose every sense of identity. Uh, in, in abuse, they, the dignity of the person is violated. They feel, what am I worth? Am I worth anything? And even the sense of security is violated. Is there anybody who cares for me? Is there anybody willing to come alongside and help me, care for me? So abuse violates people. And sadly, you know, uh, abuse, remember, both men and women could be abusers. So this is not just the man all the time. And sadly, there is also spiritual abuse that happens in the church, sometimes from well-meaning people. You know, when we push spiritual truth, you can you quote chapter and verse, but when you push spiritual truth without no, in, you know, with wisdom applying it into a context, you can hurt people. Or sometimes we can use spiritual things to control and manipulate people. The Lord told me you have to do this. Who is, you know, who are we to argue with the Lord? So the moment you say the Lord told me to tell you, the Lord told me you have to do this, you can use that to manipulate people. And sadly, that happens even in the church context, in a spiritual setting. So there is spiritual abuse when we misuse uh, the good things God has intended for us to control, manipulate people, uh, override their own will, uh, harm and hurt them emotionally. Emotional abuse, of course, uh, is when you hurt the person emotionally in their emotions. Their sense of, as we mentioned, their sense of worth is, is, uh, is lost and uh, and uh, through, through whatever is being done. So verbal abuse, as we mentioned, uh, we keep speaking things that hurt and harm the person. Are words which were intended to, which could be used for good to encourage and build up, actually become destructive, tear the person down. So even words can be used to hurt a person. And then, of course, there's physical abuse with uh, violence and sexual abuse and so on. But, I, but we need to clarify a point here uh, to distinguish abuse and other forms which sometimes are misinterpreted as abuse in the sense that, for example, if you just have a disagreement with somebody, with your boss, and the boss insists on a certain thing to be done, the boss is not abusing you. Amen? So don't misinterpret these kinds of situations as abuse. No. Conflict is good if the conflict leads to a meaningful discussion, a debate on something. That's a healthy thing. We are not all the same. We have different points of view. So even in a marriage relationship, if the husband and wife don't agree on the same thing, that's it's okay because we are different. But if you can discuss it and talk about it, it's a healthy thing. That's not abuse. If you... Uh, if you are held, uh, if you're given responsibility that stretches you, that's not abuse. It's a good thing. It's going to help you grow. So don't say, my boss is abusing me because he gave me a little more work. No, maybe he just wants you to grow. Maybe he wants you to do better. That's not abuse. Or if you are held accountable for something you're supposed to deliver, don't call that abuse. That's being held accountable. Are you understanding me so far? So don't misinterpret these normal day-to-day -day healthy things like healthy conflict or disagreement or uh, responsibility to be given to you or being held accountable. Don't misinterpret those things as abuse. Abuse is harm being inflicted. It's a violation of who you are as a person. 
And these things that we mentioned, just mentioned, don't do that. When we talk about trauma, we're talking about uh, uh, an, an event that brings pain. Something that is catastrophic. Something that has happened outside your realm of control that actually inf brings a lot of emotional pain. It could be... Uh, a, a violent act, somebody does something harm, uh, ha harmful to you, it could be an accident, it could be a rape, uh, a crime, a war, a natural disaster, uh, you know, any of these events that shock a person and uh, harm them, we refer to that as trauma. Trauma could be an acute thing, a one-time event, it could be a chronic thing, a repeated event. If it keeps on happening, example, in a marriage situation where the husband is uh, physically abusing the wife or vice versa, uh, if, if it keeps happening over and over again, that's trauma, that's chronic. Or sometimes it could be complex, multiple events happening at the same time, uh, shocking the person and so on. So uh, when a person faces trauma, uh, uh, the reaction, there's a series of reactions. They go through a shock. Sometimes they deny, say, this cannot be happening. It's not happening to me. It takes time for them to come to grips with it. There could be a lot of questioning, you know, a lot of introspection. Why is this happening to me? What did I do for, to deserve something like this? There could be grief, sadness. There could be anger, anger towards self, towards God, towards people around them. Uh, there could be a sense of hopelessness. I mean, this is the end of everything. So there could be a series of emotions and reactions that take place in the person. Are you with me so far? So, it's good for us to know this because maybe somebody in your workplace is going through something like this, or in your school, in your college. Maybe your classmate is going through some of these things. And if you understand this, you'll be able to you know, love them better and stand, come alongside them and be of help to them. What they are going through because of certain situations that they may have faced in life. And you know, sometimes abuse or trauma, the event may have passed, but the effect of that lingers on in the life of the person. It may have happened in time past, but the impact of that situation, whatever they've gone through, continues to linger on. And uh, there are several symptoms. There could be feelings of emptiness, depression, mood swings, and feeling of isolation or uh, physical problems, substance abuse. People get into that. Uh, there's a loss of confidence. Um, uh, lower productivity, feelings of anxiety, uh, all kinds of symptoms. And th there's a long list of symptoms we could talk about. Now, as we progress here, I want to deal with something very important. In the process of recovery, one of the important things is to learn to identify lies and to reject the lies and embrace the truth. And I want to just deal with three of these, which I feel are very common. We've seen them happen over and over again, and I'm even talking about our own Christian community. Very often, the abuser holds the victim in a web of lies and continues their abuse. Or sometimes, very sadly, the victim wraps themselves in a web of lies and keeps themselves trapped in that. And you find both scenarios as you talk to people. And I want to just deal with three of these, these lies, which sometimes abuse victims face and which abusers promote. Number one, the abuser says, I am like this because of you. You are forcing me to behave this way. We've heard that. The abuser tells the victim, I am like this because of you. Puts the blame on the other person. Think about a husband who's indulging in, in porn and on the internet or wherever else. And then he turns around to the wife and says, I'm doing this because of you. You are to blame for my behavior. Sometimes you feel like slapping on the face. 
and then asking forgiveness. But <laughs> no, but this, this happens. The abuser puts the blame and says, because of you, I am doing this. I'm behaving like this. You are to blame. And how painful it is for the victim. Sometimes they believe that lie. And I want to tell you, you are not responsible for the other person's choices. Free yourself from it. Let the other person take responsibility, full responsibility, for their choices and their decisions. Don't let them put the blame on you. They're not a child. They're an adult. Another lie that we've encountered often is this. There is nothing wrong with me, the abuser says. You are the one who needs to get help. So you go for counseling. They don't, they want, they don't want to see that it takes two parties to have lighted the conflict here and caused the problem. And both need help equally. But so many cases, and I'm talking about I'm a Christian homes and families and relationships where they, one of the would turn around and say, you, there's nothing wrong with me. You are the one who needs to go and get help. Very sad. So the abuser lays all the guilt and all the responsibility and points the finger. And then, then you know, in those situations, they'll highlight one or two flaws, which may be obvious, but overlooking their own flaws in that relationship. For example, the wife could point to the husband and say, you are so extroverted, you're mingling with everybody else, and because of you, your extroverted nature, we are having problems in our marriage. And the wife begins to manipulate and control the husband and tells him he cannot talk to this person, cannot don't talk to that person, don't say hi to that person, don't smile at that person. I'm not making these things up. Sometimes you find this funny, but these are real scenarios we've had to deal with. So the wife now is controlling and manipulating the husband, and the poor husband has to say yes to all these things if there's going to be some semblance of peace in the home. What's happening, the wife has become a manipulator, and the husband doesn't know it, and his, life, his wings are being cut and cut and cut and cut, trapped. He wonders, what did I get in myself into? But the blame is being put on the husband and in order to maintain some sort of marriage, uh, peace at home. You see, psychological abusers always expect the other person to change. And they don't see any responsibility on their part for that situation. The third one is a little difficult, but I'm going to address it. And the third lie, which sometimes is forced upon Christian, especially people of faith, Christian marriages, is this, that, and this, this is a well-meaning, well-intended statement. It goes like this, God has brought both of you together, and you must stay in the marriage covenant because God hates divorce. Why are you saying it's a lie? Well, because it's the scriptures being applied out of context. And I know you are all shocked. <laughs> but think about this with me. It is true that God hates divorce. We know that. God designed marriage for good. And God has said in his word, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That is true. But what did God design? He designed marriage. He did not design abuse. People got married to enter into the marriage covenant. They didn't get married to enter into a place of abuse. So think about the marriage covenant. What did, what did God design? He designed that a man and a woman will leave father and mother, meaning all earthly relationships, and cleave to each other, and they become one. So that's the marriage. And in that marriage, holy covenant, state of being in a holy covenant, he designed for unconditional love. A husband, you got to love your wife as Christ loved. 
He designed unconditional love. He designed a place of respect, of honor, of support, of nourishing and cherishing. That's what he designed. And that's what the two people signed up for. Are you with me? But when that is being dishonored in one way or another, the marriage covenant is being dishonored. For example, if the husband brings, him, brings his dad, mother, everybody else into the marriage, and then mommy, daddy are dictating what's happening in the marriage, the apron strings have not been cut off. That's not what God designed. So the wife is not only married to the husband, married to father-in-law, mother-in-law, everybody else. Suddenly the marriage circle has become crowded. That's not what marriage is, what you've entered into. Some other cases, the husband says, I'm married to you, but I have this close female friend. This is not a joke, it's happened. And the female friend is hanging around all the time. Now that's not what... The marriage covenant is. Are you listening? It's a dishonoring of the marriage covenant. And that's not what the wife step, agreed to step into. So the moment the marriage covenant is being dishonored. Somebody is being hurt. Either the wife or the husband. And it's only right for that person. If they are in harm and danger, to move to a place of safety so that the right course of action can be determined. Are you listening? To tell that person you have to stay in that situation because this is a marriage covenant, God hates divorce, you're only, it's only going to result in further harm to that person. So we have what is called as therapy-induced abuse. You go to the therapist... And the therapist tells you something that's only going to push you into further harm, further pain. They may use chapter and verse, but they are misapplying it. Let me give you one more thing. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, when God says, I hate divorce, there are two other things in those verses. First, he says, I hate evil that is undercover. That means you're doing evil, but undercover. The word treacherously... Uh, in the King James over there, is a Hebrew word that's, that refers to evil that's being done undercover. God says, I hate that. And then he also says, I hate violence, which you cover up. So when he says, I hate divorce, it is given in the context of no evil and no violence. Are you with me? It's just in the same three verses. But people ignore the other two and just insist no divorce. But no divorce is given in the context of no evil and no violence. What if there is evil and there's violence? You can't force that person to stay there and just keep on getting hurt and hurt. You've got to give them room to move to a place of safety. Are you with me? So that's why I say, I mentioned this third point, because sometimes us pastors, and I've heard pastors do this, I've heard Christian counselors do this, they insist you stay there without recognizing how harmful, how painful it is for that person to be in that situation. That's not what they entered to when they made their marriage vows, but you can't force them to be in that situation when they're being so violated and abused and traumatized by their spouse. So what's the right thing to do? Let them move to a place of safety and see how best to deal with the, the situation. So that's why I say that number three is another lie. Number four, uh, the abuser says, I'm entitled to do this because I deserve this. God owes this to me. I'm entitled to do this. And sadly, many Christian pastors uh, abuse people in category number four. They feel entitled See, I'm such an anointed man. I can prophesy. I can do this. I can do that. And therefore, I can mistreat people in my congregation. God owes this to me. And you've heard numerous stories of number four happening in the church context. And we should avoid that. So, the bad news is over. Here's the good news. There is hope after abuse. 
I want to point to a few scriptures today just to let you know that God heals the pain that we may have suffered because of abuse or trauma. In Isaiah 53 verse 5, the Bible says, let's read this together. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now look at that part. The chastisement or the punishment for what? For our peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which simply means wholeness. The punishment to bring us wholeness was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are made whole. Spirit, soul, and body. So look to the cross. See, Jesus, when you died on the cross, the punishment you bore brings me healing. Through the cross of Jesus, wholeness can come to our spirit, soul, and body. The sin in this world results in people being hurt. Always, in all kinds of, all manner of ways, and emotionally, and so on. But the cross, which is the answer to the sin of the world, provides wholeness and healing to every person. Amen. In Isaiah, the 61st chapter, beautiful chapter. Um, it's talking about the Spirit of the Lord. And we know that Jesus quoted from here when he began his ministry. And, and, and we just look at a few verses in Isaiah 61. What does the Spirit of the Lord, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Look at these verses. The Spirit, let's read them. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted, broken on the inside. Your heart is broken. You are heartbroken. We use that in English. That means the inner person has been hurt. Whether it's a traumatic event that has taken place. Or whether it's an abuse that has happened. Or a mistreatment, an ill treatment, whatever. Your heart is broken. But he heals the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. An opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. Look at that. Comfort those who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for us. So that's so powerful. And your life may have been brought down to ashes. By what people may have done to you. But there is hope. The Holy Spirit brings beauty for ashes. He can restore. He can make something beautiful. Even if at this moment, if things look like they are in ruins. He brings beauty for ashes. He brings joy for mourning. Praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And in verse 7, in that same chapter, it says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Think of that. God is saying, you've had shame, but you will have double honor. And then he says, instead of confusion, they will rejoice. Think of that days and months of confusion. What am I supposed to do? And God says, look, instead of all of that you've been through, the confusion you've been through, you are going to be able to have joy. Rejoice. Just two more verses. Psalm 23, verse 3. We know it. He restores my soul. The inner person. He restores my soul, my mind, my emotions. And Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth. You've clothed me with gladness. God can do that in our lives. Amen. The God, Revelation 21. God says, I'm, Jesus says, I make all things new. So think about this. He's going to make the heavens and the earth brand new. And if he can make the heavens and the earth new, 
Surely he can make your life and mine brand new. Behold, I make all things new. He can do that. There is hope. Amen. So no matter, and I'm not trying to belittle the pain. Just try it in a few words to help us understand what people go through in life when they are ill-treated or mistreated, uh, especially from in the, in, the, in the family context, or sometimes it can happen in other situations. But for that pain, there's one above who can bring wholeness, healing, and turn it around for joy. Turn it around into something that is joyful. He can make all things new. He can make all things new. He's powerful. Next Sunday, in part two, we'll get into the pathway to healing. But I want to leave us today with two initial steps. If there's anyone in this auditorium, those watching online, if you find yourself, or you think you may be in a situation where you're being abused, Step one is to recognize you are being abused. Now why are we even making such a statement? Because usually people are unwilling to accept that it is happening to them. Sometimes it's just too shocking to admit that it's happening. Sometimes it's the pressure of society. Who can I tell? I can't go tell my parents. I can't go tell my in-laws. And so what do they do? They just stay quiet. But just staying in that situation is not going to bring about a solution. Facing up to the things rather than avoiding them is almost always the first step towards some form of healing. So you need to face up. Look, I am being hurt. You know, whatever that situation is, I've, we've, we've focused a, a lot on the marriage situation, but that's not the only. There could be other situations. I am being hurt. I am being abused. There's a saying, we repeat what we do not repair. So if you don't repair it, it's just going to keep repeating. The abuser is going to keep abusing. You address it momentarily, he will say, okay, or she will say, okay. But the cycle is going to repeat. If you don't actually repair what needs to be repaired, this is going to keep on repeating. Once again, God desires for each one of us to be whole, spirit, soul, and body. He desires for our soul to be doing well. Number two, worship team, please come. If it's needed, move yourself to a place of safety. If it's needed. I'm not saying this is something that has to happen every situation. But if you are being hurt over and over again, there is nothing wrong in moving yourself to a place of safety. That itself can be a big step for some people. To think that I have to get out of this situation and go to you know, my parents' place, my friend's place, or be by myself for a season. It's a big step. But sometimes that's important. And don't feel bad about it. Don't feel guilty that you're moving to a place of safety so that you can remove yourself from a place where you're being constantly hurt. It's not wrong. Are you listening? And don't force, with chapter and verse, don't force somebody to stay in a place where they're being hurt. You don't know what they're going through. We can fix that later, but let them be in a place of safety. And as you do these things, you know, as you do these things, 
Just look to the Lord. Psalm 32 verse 7 says, You are, let's read it. Oh, it's not on the screen. Sorry. Psalm 32 verse 7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 32 verse 7. Let's read it together. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. So if there's anyone here you need to take these two steps, I encourage you to do that. Don't feel guilty about it. With God's help, things you know, will be, healing will come to you and He will make all things new. Which way it's going to go, we don't know. But be courageous enough to face up to what's happening and to move yourself to a place of safety if that's what needs to be done. We're going to pause here today. I know I kind of leave you hanging there. But part two of this sermon series, which is on the 28th, we're going to talk about the healing. How do we journey into a place of healing? From the Bible, biblical and practical steps that you and I can take to receive healing. We know healing comes from God because he said he will restore our soul. We know he can do it because he makes all things new. He will do it. But how do we journey into it? We'll talk about this in part two of the sermon series. Could we rise to our feet, please? As we sing together this morning, I want you to open your heart to God and say, Lord, the things I've heard, they, if there's anything that, that you've heard this morning, it, it ministers to you. Open your heart to God and say, God, I need that healing that comes from you. Or if you know of people around you, they've been through things in life and they're in a place where they're hurting. Take a moment to pray for them. Lift them up before God and say, God, you said you will bring beauty for ashes. And I lift up so and so to you. Bring beauty in their lives. Out of all the, the ashes, out of all what they're going through, beautify their lives. Lift them up before God. Let's take a moment just to wait on the Lord. Me 
Father, we just stand in your presence as people who need healing. Things have happened in our lives that have hurt us, God. Words have been spoken. Things have been done that have caused pain. There is pain inside of our hearts. Father, sometimes we don't know why such things would have happened. We don't understand it. We don't know, God, what you were doing when such pain was being inflicted on us. But we trust in you. We trust that you are a good God. We trust that you're a loving Father. And we trust that you can heal every pain. And Father, even this auditorium right now, and those watching online, Father, let your healing flow for our brokenness, for our pain. Wherever we are hurting, let your healing come. By your Holy Spirit, bring healing. By your Holy Spirit, strengthen, encourage, revive, give hope, bring wholeness. Bring relief. Lift the burden, God. Heal the memory. Touch every part of the inner person and heal. Because you alone can make all things new. You alone can do it, Father. So do it, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to dismiss. If you need personal prayer, uh, our pastoral team will be here. Those of us who are here will be available to just pray with you, minister to you. If there's anyone here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you came in here because a friend invited you, or maybe you happened to see some announcement somewhere. So I'll go to church. And you came here. I just want to let you know that Jesus Christ wants to come and live inside you. The God of this universe wants to come and live inside you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to make you a brand new person. And He wants to make you part of His family, a child, a son, a daughter of God. 
And all you have to do is to say, Jesus, come in. Come into my life. He put it like this. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. I'll eat with him. He can eat with me. And maybe you feel right now that knocking. You want to open your heart and say, Jesus, come in. I want to lead you in a simple prayer that you can receive Jesus into your life. Let him come into your life. Change you. Make you a new person. Forgive your sins and bring you into the family of God. We just bow it for a moment of prayer. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and you would like to do that, you feel a knocking on your heart and you'd like to do that this morning, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I would like to ask you to come into my life. Please come in. Forgive my sins. Make me a child of God. And help me to follow you and you alone. The rest of my life. Come in Lord Jesus. I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Anybody you prayed this prayer with me. For the very first time. Very first time time in your life you said Jesus come into my life we'd like to celebrate with you we'd like to see your hands anyone here you pray this prayer with me for the very first time in your life I want to celebrate with you today anybody if you don't mind just raise your hand and we'll celebrate with you anyone in this auditorium do you see any hands anyone here okay I don't I don't see any okay no problem if you did pray that prayer and you're feeling shy to raise your hand, on all our exits, there'll be ushers who have this bag. We call it the new believers bag. You can just tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer, but I was just a little shy to raise my hand. They'll give you this bag. They'll take your name and number. And then somebody from the church office will call you and tell you how to use those resources that are inside the bag. So please make sure you do that in case you prayed that prayer for the very first time. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.